If you have Bibles with you, please turn to the letter of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 1. I was a little bit worried for a moment that uh, Jeremy Blakey, as he introduced the last song, was going to uh, preach my sermon, uh, since he was quoting directly from this passage, but he's left me one or two things to say. Um, Actually, in my diary, I'd written down that I was due to be here, and I'd written down the passage of Colossians that I was uh, due to be speaking on, and it was Colossians, the end of Colossians chapter 2 and the beginning of Colossians chapter 3. So through this week, I've been meditating on the end of Colossians chapter 2 and the beginning of Colossians chapter 3. Uh, but obviously, there were one or two extra preachers sort of brought in, and the, the series got slightly dislocated. So I got an email from Keith yesterday saying, the passage that you're preaching on is Colossians chapter 1 to Colossians chapter 2. So I've got another one up my sleeve uh, later on. Uh, but in order to keep in with this series that, we, that you've been doing here, it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who've not met me personally. My purpose is that they might be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. The Apostle Paul is stuck in Rome. He's ended up in Rome because he's basically on trial because of his preaching of the Christian message. And it's got him in trouble. He's waiting for that trial and he's under house arrest. 
He can't move anywhere. He's not allowed to go anywhere in Rome. But his heart is elsewhere. In fact, it's right the way in other nations, in lots of different nations. His heart is with Christians everywhere, some of whom he's led to the Lord, some of whom he preached the gospel to, some of whom he doesn't even know, but he prays for regularly, cooped up in his little house in Rome. And I somehow envision the Apostle Paul pacing up and down in this little house. He hasn't got far to pace up and down, but he's pacing up and down, and he's praying and he's crying out to God for these people. He wants the Colossians, many of whom he remembers, and for that matter the Laodiceans, because Laodicea is very close to Colossae. These are two sort of twin cities, and then there's Hierapolis. There's sort of three cities all around one little area, and he's preached them all. And and he wants them to stay true, but his concern is that they're influenced by lots of ideas from other places. And he's really most concerned that these guys in Colossian, they said they're about to miss the point. Because they're seduced, as he says it, by all sorts of other ideas. Are they missing the point? It is a strange thing that it is possible for Christians, God's people, to end up missing the point. That we can go through religious stuff and worship and sing our songs and hear our sermons and still if we're not careful miss the point of what it's really all about and and Paul says I'm struggling (laughs) actually the word means it's like somebody in a wrestling ring he says I'm wrestling I'm any Greek scholars here it's agonizo he said, I'm, I'm agonizing, I'm wrestling because I want the Colossians not to miss the point. I don't want Christians to miss the point and to lose their way by all sorts of destructive ideas that are around. What were some of the destructives around his... Um, I don't know quite where we are. We need to start this PowerPoint. We should be a, a second slide in, please. Um, okay, We're, the title is Struggling to Make Christ Known. Uh, But there are certain hindrances that are encountered in making Christ known. It will come up in a moment. (laughs) Uh, There are certain hindrances that are are encountered in making Christ known. The, The first one is simply this. It is Jewish pride and possessiveness. It's Jewish pride and possessiveness. You see, the Jews thought that God was for them. Uh, and that's how they've been sort of trained. They, they'd got it wrong because right at the beginning of Jewish history, God says, I'm going to make you my people in order to get my love to the nations. But they had sort of reduced that to, I'm going to make you my people and we'll have a nice happy relationship and so on. That's one of the first big problems that can happen, that Christians get very self-satisfied and a little bit possessive and we think it's very nice for us to have a relationship with God and we can forget everybody else. If you come to the leaders' conference this weekend, you'll see uh, it, the, the theme is Into All the World. 
and uh, Len Gardner, Len Gardner, Len Barlotti will also be speaking, uh, as well as Heidi Baker. His sessions will be good to come to as well, I'm sure. But anyway, there you go. He'll tell you after this meeting what he's going to be talking about. Um, I think it's about being a pastoral people who stay at home. <laughs> but, but Christians can be as proud and as self-centered and as selfish as the Jews were. The second thing is, it's new. This message is new. There's something really new about this message. Paul says the problem is, this is a secret that's been hidden all the way up to now, and it's only just been revealed. It's brand new. Now, that's a bit of a problem because people don't like jumping on the latest new idea. They we all sort of treasure things that we were brought up with and that we came to know, you know, in an early day and all the rest of it and the tried and trusted and so on. So this brand new idea, it definitely wasn't being embraced by Jews and it was quite challenging to the rest of the world as well. But there was something else which was another big hindrance in this part of the world and it was a particular problem at Colossae. And it was a, a bunch of ideas that were promoted by some guys called Gnostics. Okay, now, if you don't know about the Gnostics, it doesn't really matter, but it's a bit like New Agers. The Gnostics were sort of New Agers in an odd sort of way. I mean, because if you say, what does a New Ager believe, it's very hard to pin down. Well, there's a sort of whole range of ideas, and they select a few of them. The Gnostics were exactly the same. There was a whole range of ideas, and, you know, just, you just selected a few of these ideas, and that was good. But they were wide-ranging ideas, and lots of Christians sort of believed some of them, were influenced by some of them. Now, in our world today, there are lots of ideas out there, and, unfortunately, Some of us are influenced by some of them. And if we're not careful, we can find out that we're not actually thinking biblically, but unbiblically. We're taking on some ideas from the world. That sounds reasonable. Well, yes, that sounds reasonable. And we hear people say, well, I believe this, and I believe that, and I believe the other. I heard a preacher doing that one day. I almost, well, actually, I was listening to a CD of this guy preaching. He said, can, can I run this CD by you? I preached last week. And, uh, and uh, he kept saying, and I believe, and I believe, and I believe, and I believe. And I was sitting there with my pad and my pen, making notes of this, because he wanted some feedback. And eventually, I threw my pen across the room at the, uh, at the CD player. And I said, I don't care what you believe. Because Christians need to understand that there is something here, a revelation that God has given us, and we don't just add any ideas to it, right? We, uh, we actually want to know what God has shown us in Christ. So these Gnostic ideas run a little bit like this. Only the elite can know God. You have to be one of the, you know, the inner circle. To know. There are some people who've received knowledge, because gnos- gnosis, this is a silent G, by the way, but it's there. Gnosis means knowledge. So some people have got knowledge. <laughs> you know, but it's only the elite. That, that's, that's the first basic idea, right? Only the special people. So secondly, with that goes... Only special people really understand the mystery of life. 
Life is a mystery. And this is one reason why Paul underlines the word mystery so much in these few verses. Because he's saying, you want a mystery, I'll show you a mystery. <laughs> right? In fact, I'll reveal this mystery because this mystery has now been disclosed, opened up. I proclaim it. Anybody can know it. <laughs> Right, So it's not staying a mystery. But, but the Gnostics thought only a few people really understood the mystery of life. And what's more, they thought this world and our bodies are bad. This world is not good. You need to live on the level of the soul, a higher level, a higher plane. And this world isn't good. And what's more, our bodies are good, aren't good. Right, So... So actually, you can commit sin with your bodies and it doesn't matter because you're living on a higher level. There were all sorts of things that follow. Actually, no point talking about God living in us because he wouldn't live in a body because bodies are bad. So there were all sorts of weird ideas out there. Uh, And, uh, you know, they were abroad in the church and Paul's pacing up and down his, his, his little house in Rome saying, I wish I could get to them. I wish I could help them. I hope they're not missing the point. And we're about to see what the point is. But you know, these ideas are destructive. Well, we have some similar ideas around us as well that if we're not careful could help us to miss the point. And here's a few of them. First one is those people who say, I'm not good enough. It is a really weird thing, uh, and I've bumped into all sorts of people who maybe come to church and say, well, all those people, they're really good. I'm not good enough. Uh, I think I would just go away and smarten my life up a bit, and then I'll come back, and then maybe I can know God. Well, that really misses the point, doesn't it? It misses the point that actually God came to save the worst people possible, and to wash them and clean them up and make them his own sons and daughters. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how strong that thought is. And even when you talk to your neighbours, they would say, well, yeah, I'm not really good enough. I'll, maybe I'll smart my act up soon. And may, you know, that, that, that idea does go round, doesn't it? Or there's this one, it works for you, but not for me. Well, I'm very happy if it works for you, and of course this is part of our relativistic age, but it doesn't work for me. What we've lost is any idea that there's any truth in the world at all. Leslie Newbegin, who is one of the you know, church's leading missiologists who you know, wants to get the gospel out there, wanted to get the gospel out there, was in mission for years and years and years, says that is the beginning of a decay in society when there's no truth to build your society on. And Christians need to get out and speak truth again into our world in order to change nations and to change societies and to build society on. Okay, here's another one. Don't all roads lead in the same direction? Now, the reason I'm saying these things is because we've got to understand that these are hindrances today that we will encounter and ideas out there that, if we're not careful, will neuter us. We get neutered by these ideas. And this is a very... Can you go back up, please? We'll come to apathy and Christians in a moment. I want to stop on don't all roads lead the same direction. Because the apathy one, I'm going to preach in a moment. (laughs) 
Okay, can we go back up one, please? I don't want to give all my sort of secrets away. Now you know what's coming, don't you? Don't all roads lead in the same direction. This is one of the most debilitating diseases in our world today, and especially for Christians in the church. Because secretly there are some Christians who believe that. Um, I love this little passage by Michael Green. Listen, listen to this. Um, Michael Green, one of the, you know, one of the best uh, sort of Anglican evangelists for decades. He says, "How can all religions lead to God when they're so different? The God of Hinduism is plural and impersonal. The God of Islam is singular and personal. The God of Christianity is the creator of the world. The divine in Buddhism is not personal and is not creative." Christianity teaches that God both forgives the man and gives him supernatural aid. In Buddhism, there's no personal forgiveness and no supernatural aid. The goal of all existence in Buddhism is nirvana, extinction, attained by the Buddha after no less than 547 births. The goal of all existence in Christianity is to know God and enjoy him forever. Perhaps the greatest difference of all lies between the Bible, which asserts that nobody can save himself and make himself pleasing to God, try as he will, and almost all other faiths, which assert that by keeping their teachings, a man will be saved or reborn or made whole or achieve fulfillment. I do not want at this point, he says, to evaluate different religions' faiths. I'm just wanting to show how utterly illogical it is to say they're all pointing in the same direction. It's as foolish to say that all roads from Nottingham lead to London. They do nothing of the sort, and it's not helpful in the least to pretend that they do. They lead to radically different goals, extinction or heaven, pardon or paying it off, a personal God or an impersonal monad salvation by grace or by works. The contrasts are irreconcilable. But there are Christians who secretly in their hearts think that in other religions their followers will reach God. It's not like that. Paul says, I think we could miss the point here. And he's struggling and agonizing that we shouldn't. And here's the fourth one. And it's called apathy in Christians. Did it ever disappear or did it stay there? Now, it was a message from God. He wanted to underline it. (laughs) Apathy in Christians. What's in you will come out of you. What's in you will come out of you. Whatever is in you at some point ultimately has got to come out of you. Otherwise, you're one frustrated person. If bad thoughts are in you, they'll come out of you. They'll have some fruit somewhere. If bad language is in you, it will come out of you. If anger's in you, it will come out of you. And if passion is in you, passion will come out of you. One of the big problems and hindrances to the mystery of Jesus being known in the world today is the apathy of Christians. I'm sorry. It is. 
a self-centered contentment that says, isn't it nice to know God without realizing there are thousands and millions of people who could be missing the point here. And the point that I'm making is, as the Apostle Paul paces his house saying, God, don't let those people in Colossae miss the point. Please let them understand the mystery of God. If I were there, I'd show them what it is. I'd better write a letter and tell them what it is so that they don't miss the point. Because there's a passion in him for God's people to understand what God really has done for them and what the mystery of their faith is. And it's not a mystery you can't know, it's a mystery you can know. And he wants them to understand that. One of the reasons why I love Len Barlotti, who was part of our church for several years here, then left us for a higher call to the States. I I remember him telling me his story about how he ended up as a missionary to the Pashtun people on the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan, which is so much in all of our sights at the moment. All that's going on in that region of the world. He was a pastor in the States, but he was praying for the gospel to get out. And he, was, and he would take an atlas and he'd pray over the atlas, God, move here in this nation, move here in this nation, move here in this nation, move here in this nation. What was that that was coming out? It was passion for Christ. Passion for Christ. You may not be in a position to go, but you are in a position to be passionate and to be prayerful and to shake ourselves out of the apathy that numbs us and that numbs our hearts. What God wants to do is to shake us up into a zeal and a passion for him. And I'm praying for those who are leaders and will be at our leaders conference this week, that will happen this weekend. And we'll be shaken up out of our apathetic dullness and numbness of spirit to be passionate for the gospel in all its power to come out. So there's some of today's hindrances. Okay, here we are. Now here's the simplicity. Against all of this, he's, and Paul's saying, yeah, you've got all these ideas floating around. Don't let them seduce you. Don't let them seduce you. People of God, don't let the ideas of the world seduce you. (laughs) Read your Bible. Read the Word of God. Find out what it says. (laughs) Get it clear. Get it crystal clear in your mind. But here's the first one. The mystery, number one, is this. This is the bit that Jeremy started preaching. The mystery is Christ in you. Let's just read it again, these verses that... Uh, we read through the end of chapter 1. He says in verse 25, I've become the servant of the church. That is a, that is a powerful, so he says, I'm so agonizing with this. I'm so struggling with this. I've become a servant of the church. I'm, I'm, I can't do anything else but this, he says. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I'm sunk. I can't do anything else. I'm a servant of the church. Uh, by the commission that God gave me, because God's commissioned me 
to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now, look, what he's not saying here is every single detail of the Bible teaching from Genesis to Revelation. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is God has spoken through revealing himself by revealing himself to his people over the years and now in Jesus, we see the fullness of it. This is the climax of it. This is the pinnacle, the summit of everything that God started to say. It's in Jesus. Okay? So he's saying, I've become a slave. The God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages it was it was being revealed but it it was hidden for ages and for generations he says but is now disclosed to the saints who are the saints we are the saints God's people are the saints when he washes you and cleans you up from all your sin you become a saint I don't always look like one. No, but he'll keep working on you. He'll keep shaking you. He'll keep his power working inside of you. But you are saints. The mystery that has been hidden for generations and generations has now been revealed to the saints. That's to all of us. What is it? To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, he's talking to Gentiles. That is, he's talking to non-Jews. Okay, so, so he says, here's the mystery, Christ in you. Christ in you, and Christ in you, and Christ in you, and Christ in you, and Christ in you. We go, this is the mystery. People used to think Christ, God was distant up there in heaven. You know, not very easy to know. He was far off, great transcendent. But the mystery, that where everything was, God's little secret. That he was about to spring on the world through Jesus' coming is Christ doesn't want to live up there only. He wants to live down here in his people. Christ in you. Listen, this is the mystery. Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ in you. I do love these smart students this morning. This is wonderful. I walked in this morning and we had a very smart usher, Mark, on duty. And I said, wow, he said, that's very impressive. I said, you're raising the quality and the tone round here. He said, yeah, we're looking for you to wear a tie another week too, please. (laughs) My fear... My fear is that if I wear a tie next time I come, none of you will be in ties. But if you, if you commit yourself to... And I'll be here next Sunday, by the way. So. Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ in you. This is, this is the mystery. And it's such a simple mystery. It's where God was going all the time that he wants to live in you and in me. Now... Against the background of only the elite can know God. This is totally different. It's a different sound. Only a handful can know God. This is different. Only the Jews can know God. This is a different sound to you. And he's talking to non-Jews, Gentiles. He says, this is the mystery. Christ in you Gentiles. 
world. Everybody, every nation, every non-Jewish nation, Christ in you. Christ in Afghans, Christ in Pashtuns, Christ in Libyans, Christ in Egyptians. There's something that's going on in the world today. A shaking of the nations. Believe you me, Christ is doing something in all of that. Because he wants to get this mystery into the nations. That he wants to live in people in every nation. Please don't miss the point. Please don't miss the point. And his struggle, Paul's struggle, is to get this good news out. That Christ wants to live in every person, in every nation He wants to set them free from the bondage of other thinking, from elitism or from thinking that all roads lead to the Rome or or from whatever it may be. He wants to set people free in every nation. And he's pacing up his... Can you imagine how frustrating it was for the apostle of the gospel to the nations to be pent up in a little sitting room in Rome? Oh, let me out of here. He's agonizing over this stuff. I'm praying that some of you start agonizing over the same stuff. Yeah, come on. Some of us will start agonizing over the same stuff. What a wonderful miracle that Christ, the creator of the heaven and earth, came down, (laughs) lived here. In order to pay the whole price that led to our separation from God and then to live in us, to take up his residence. He who came and encamped in the world comes and camps in us too. Christ in you. Hope of glory. Something when you know Christ is living in you, you are an inescapable optimist. Can I speak this especially to the pessimists here? How many pessimists do we have? How many people naturally here see glasses half empty rather than glasses half full? Come on, come on. Yes, yeah, we've got a few hands. We've got a few hands and we've got a few dishonest people who aren't owning up to this. But when Christ is in you, there is an inescapable optimism that takes hold of you because you know you're going to glory. Amen? In fact, you're linked with glory. You're part of the new creation that is, you know, everything is going to be changed and transformed and everything that still doesn't make sense in your life is going to give way to everything that does make sense in the future. Amen? Wow. That's mystery number one. Okay, here's mystery number two. But I, I don't know, I wish, I wish I had words to explain all of this. I saw this done simply. In, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says this. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are hidden in Christ with God. So, suppose this is you in Christ in God. 
This is profoundly simple. You and your life, if you know God, you are now enfolded in him. I love that simple song that we sang in the worship. The words of which I will totally forget. But you know that one, God be in my waking, my sleeping, my breathing, my rising, my walking, my leaping, whatever it is. But God be in everything. But he is because you're in him. He's totally around you, totally with you, totally for you. This is the mystery. He's not a distant God. And he wants to be in everybody. And he wants the rest of the world to know what you know. And he says, like Paul said, I hope you're not missing the point here. (laughs) Hope you're not missing the point. Second mystery. Well, this is ever so simple too. If you're looking for knowledge, wisdom, you might go to the Gnostics for their ideas. They think they've got knowledge. Or you might go to university for some of their ideas. Because they think they've got knowledge. Or you might go for IT professional training because they've got knowledge. Or you might go, you might go in all sorts of different, you might go to Wikipedia. They think they've got knowledge. You could go in all sorts of different places for ideas, knowledge, whatever it may be. But Paul says, I want you to understand this mystery. Everything is in Christ. All the wisdom and the knowledge, it's in Christ. It's in Christ. All wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So I can see Paul, he's pacing up his study. Does he have a study? He probably doesn't have a study in his house in Rome. But he's pacing up and down saying, God, let them know Christ. All they need is Christ. If Christ is in them, if Christ is around them, if they're centered on Christ, all wisdom and knowledge are there. Let them not be seduced by Gnostic thought. Let them not be seduced by relativistic thought. Let them not be seduced by ideas of the day. Let them not be seduced by other people's doubt. Keep them in Christ. wisdom and the knowledge of God it's incri- this is a mystery it was a secret now it's now everybody can see it yeah. I don't know about you I find it easy to get good ideas from all sorts of places I read quite a lot watch quite a lot think quite a lot talk quite a lot you get all sorts of ideas fed in Better be sure where they come from. Do they come from Christ? Are we getting seduced? He's praying for them. He's standing firm for them. He's encouraging them. You know, it is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Fifteen years ago or so, I had the privilege of going to a jail in... Argentina, where there was a revival going on. This was Olmos Jail. And through the work of one of the prison warders, prison officers there, a revival had broken out. And the time when I had the privilege of going there, of the 3,000, 
500 high-security prisoners who were there, murderers, rapists, all the worst types of criminals in that jail. It was the highest security jail in Argentina. 1,650 had become Christians. And uh, I went with a group of other leaders and pastors. There were about five or six of us. Bryn Franklin was one of those who was with, with our group, and Barney Coombs and myself. And we went into this prison, and we sat down with the prison warder who'd started off this ministry, a wonderful, simple, godly man who simply believed that God had called him to establish something for Jesus in this prison. And the only way he could get into the prison was by becoming a prison warder. So he applied for the next job he saw to get into that prison. He told us quite a lot of the story, which I don't need to go into now, but I do remember ever so clearly walking from that room where we were sitting across to a large room, probably just a little bit smaller than this room, where about 900 or 1,000 prisoners were gathered to worship God. And as Bryn and I walked side by side across the yard to this chapel place, we heard a song pumping out of this big hall. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It was all about Jesus. They'd encountered Jesus. All they could focus on was Jesus. And they wanted us pastors to know Jesus as well. So, One of us was invited to say something, and we elected Barney to say something. (laughs) And uh, they sort of seemed to appreciate his little message. And then they said, can we pray for you, leaders from the West? These burly ex-prisoners with sort of stubble all around them, you know, they came to lay hands on us. (laughs) And... uh, Oliver, have you ever seen me do this before? Because <laughs> I've told this story before. So they would come and they'd lay hands on us. Now, in Argentina, they have a little different style of praying for people. What they're praying for is more of the Holy Spirit. But the style is mass, 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 mass. No, you have to give way to this. <laughs> so... So the only thing to do when somebody banging on your head like that, praying more of the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit, is you give in, you lie down, you think, I'll just stay here for a bit. <laughs> At which point, they pull you up again. <laughs> and they say, mass, 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 mass. <laughs> and you think, oh, I'll definitely stay here this time. And they get you up again. <laughs> I don't know if this is Trinitarian or what, but anyway, <laughs> mass, 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 mass. Well... Anyway, we got a good dose of prayer. Thank you, Oliver. That was very helpful. I picked on somebody light as well. I looked at Steve and I looked at Keith and I thought, I'll go for Oliver. (laughs) They wanted us pastors to know Christ. They could have said, well, you're all pastors, you know Christ. Oh, no. They don't want pastors to miss the point. 
mustn't assume it's possible for pastors to miss the point too. And for leaders to miss the point and start rooting themselves in all sorts of other ideas and thinking instead of Christ, who's the mystery of God, revealed to us. And as we were leaving, they had a little presentation ceremony. They would come up to us and they'd throw their burly sort of bulk and arms around us. Yeah, come on, Oliver. <laughs> like this. And then they go. This really does blow all your English fuses. And uh, so and, oh, they all did that. I mean, we must have embraced about 800 prisoners, you know. My cheeks were red afterwards. We always saw them. Anyway. And they handed us. Uh, you can sit down now. They handed us. It's good to have a stooge, isn't it? They handed us a little painting. And uh, this was just a, a very, very tiny painting like that, which was they'd, they'd fixed two lolly eye sticks. You know, for the sort of top and the bottom of the picture to frame it and then to make a little easel behind. And on the bottom, it just said in Spanish, the Church of Jesus Christ, the only hope. And what they had understood was that all their hope was in Christ. Now I have, by the blessing of many people and the grace of God, accumulated gifts from many different nations in the world. Some of them I've kept for a bit, and then somebody has thrown them out. You know, one of those clear-outs that are quite... This one still sits on my study windowsill. The Church of Jesus Christ, the only hope. Everything is in Christ. Everything is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Our future is in Christ. Our wisdom is in Christ. Our knowledge is in Christ. Our life is in Christ. Everything's in Christ. Paul says, please don't miss the point. Please don't think it's in cleverness or Gnostic ideas or supercilious negative thinking that sucks us in and sucks the energy out of us and sucks the passion out of us. Let's just be cool. How about not being cool? How about being passionate for Jesus? What about that as a way to live? I remember the story that Chrissy Chapman told us several years ago. Chrissy Chapman is a wonderful lady who's worked in Burundi for years, but landed there in the midst of pain and genocide between tribes in that East Africa region. Lots and lots and lots of people had their homes devastated, their families slaughtered. 
Many of them ended up in refugee camps. And Chrissy, who was working there with orphans, basically sort of said to the Lord, well, what can we do? And God said, well, you can feed them. Go into the refugee camps and feed those who are there. So what they used to do was to, they got a whole load of dustbins. And they would make porridge and they pour the porridge in the dustbins and they'd load the dustbins full of porridge into their pickup truck and they'd take the porridge into the uh, refugee camps to feed everybody at least some porridge each day. All these displaced people. As they're doling out the porridge one day in one of these refugee camps, she sees a little old man sitting over in the corner on his own. She goes over to talk to him to see if he wants some porridge. He starts talking to this man. This man told her a bit of the story that basically he had lost all his family. He was 80. He had lost all his family. They'd all been killed in the slaughter. He'd lost his home. He'd lost all his belongings. It had all been burned. He'd lost everything. And now... He was alone, sitting in that refugee camp. And she said, would you like some porridge? He said, yes. She's just getting up to go and get him some porridge when he called after her. And he said, Madam Missionary, I didn't realize that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Everything's in Christ. We chase lots of other things, but everything's in Christ. We're going to sing a hymn, In Christ Alone. I encourage you to sing it as often as we sing it from the bottom of your hearts. And if we sing it two times or three times or four times, let's fix our eyes. Just, I'm just saying that, Jerry, because he didn't, hadn't got a plan, you see. But... Let's focus on Jesus in Christ alone. This is the mystery of our faith. Yes. Now revealed. No longer a mystery. Now revealed because Christ came. And he's shown us the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.